the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Love turns you into a servant. Love is to the uttermost, and love always turns people into servants. And welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We are in the book of John, specifically chapter 13 this week, as we examine just exactly what a true mark of a leader really is. Jesus models it for us here in John 13, and he does so with the expressed understanding it's the ultimate expression of his love. Join us as we understand what serving leaders really look like. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. We come to Christ. He comes into this upper room, his last night with his men. He's within 24 hours of the cross. And uh, what's on his mind as he comes to this point? When he knows he's going to go back to the Father. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. What's on his mind? When you know you're leaving here and you're going there, what last unfinished business do you want to do, Jesus? Having loved his own who were in the world, he now shows them the full extent of his love. I want to take this last night with these men I've been training for three and a half years I want to show them the full extent to which I love them. And I'll do it two ways. While I'm alive, the greatest thing I could ever do is to step down from my high and lofty position and take the role of a slave servant in their life. And I'm more than willing to do that. Tomorrow, I'll do the ultimate sacrifice of giving myself for them. But the only way I can love them to the uttermost is to be their servant while I'm alive. Tomorrow I'll be their substitute on a cross. I can't do any more than that. But I'm going to go ahead and go through with it. I'm going to love these men to the uttermost, to the utmost of my ability. There won't be any more left to give when I'm through giving on the cross. And I breathe out my final sigh. I will have known that I stooped to serve and that I submitted to die. For I will die for my friends, he tells them in the chapter. I want us to see how he demonstrates his love. And I want us to get the feel. And I want us, first of all, to consider when he decided to love them. When he decided to go on this venture. And I want us to get the context. If we were reading Luke 22, let me tell you some things that have already gone on. In Luke 22, verses 1 through 3, uh, Judas has already gone to the chief priest 
and the officers, and he's already struck a bargain. They've already settled on money and terms, so the deal is done as far as the arrangement. Judas has already settled for a price. All he's looking for is the opportune moment to turn Christ over to the officials. So we already know when we come into this room, we've got a betrayer in the room. And there's, by the way, there's more than 12 men in the room. We've got a 13th party called the devil made it to the upper room. So on the way there, according to Luke 22... John doesn't record it, but in the room, a dispute broke out over who should be the greatest. And so, we're in this room. The devil has put it into the heart of Judas to betray. He's already made arrangement, and before the chapter's over, Satan enters into his heart, and he carries out the plot. We've got men in a room. This is my last night on the earth. I've invested three and a half years in these men. They will be there for my hour of trial, my last moments before the gas chamber. Surely they'll be sympathetic, and they break out having a fight and an argument, and Christ says, what's the argument over? And they said, we want to know who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom. And you've got a man in the room that... uh, refuses to have his feet washed at first, that before the end of the chapter, Christ is going to say, Peter, you're my servant, but you know what? You're going to be a coward within 24 hours, and you'll deny you even know me. And the rest of you are egomaniacs. It's like I've taught you nothing. This is what I get for three and a half years of ministry. One's going to turn to the devil. One turns to a coward. The others are in a power struggle. And all of you will bail out on me within 24 hours. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to love you to the uttermost. F.B. Meyer said the proud spirit of the flesh, which so often cursed this little group, broke out in this awful hour with renewed energy. It's as though the prince of this world would inflict a parting blow on his great antagonist through those whom he loved best. It was as if Satan said, see the results of thy tears and teaching. You got a bunch of cowards and a bunch of betrayers and you've invested all this time. And when you need them, they're going to walk. It's as though Satan showed up and said, Thou hast so often inculcated compassion and mercy, but it won't ever grow in the hearts of these wayward men. You are a plant too rare to grow in the climate of this earth. You need to get back to heaven. You'll never achieve the impossible with these men. Already, the look and the smile, as it were, and the frown of the cross is on the Savior's face. The shadow is falling in this room. Meyer said, if such pride could assert itself after such education of three and a half years and under such circumstances of sitting at the feet of Jesus, let us be sure that it is not far away from any of us. Jesus in the upper room is like a rose growing out of a garbage heap. There's nothing lovely going on in the room. Treachery is in the room. 
Pride is in the room. Wanting to be first, wanting to go up, that satanic motive, the pride of man. And Christ looks around. This is not a fancy room. They didn't even get a, a guest slave to wash their feet. And he said, I'm going to love in this room. When, if you wait for people to get lovely enough to be loved, you will never love. For the race is full of betrayers, cowards, and egomaniacs. And they're not all outside of the church. Some have run with Jesus for three and a half years. When is it time to love? Christ says right up to the end, I have less than 24 hours to be with these men without the cross. And I choose in my last hour not to upbraid them, but to love them to the uttermost. Until there's nothing left. Uh, who are the objects of his love? Miserable, failing men. Men with dirty feet in the room. Men with an one man with an unchanged heart. The treasurer that carried the bag hung around the king of kings. Could anyone be that closely associated to Christ for three and a half years and be unchanged? Judas was. He was touched but not changed. He was fed, but not changed. He saw miracles, but not changed. He saw it all, but not changed. You can be a devil and hang around Christ and be unchanged by him. You might be a churchman and still be a devil. If you can run with Jesus for three and a half years, I'm sure you could be a member of this church and not know him. Who did he decide to love? Don't you think Christ should pick people better? You know, if you're going to build a company, you've got to know how to pick help. And if you're going to build a church and if you're going to build a kingdom, you've got to know who to pick. You can do better than this, can't you? Well, he chose to pick a man that would betray him. And when he walks in the room, he knows the betrayer is there. He will lead him through the supper and say, eat the sop. It's time for you to do your whole plan. But you see, I know, I know, Judas. I already know the plot. Go ahead and do it. And he went out, and it was night. Peter, it sounds good to hear your claims, but I know you won't carry through. You're big. You even know who I am. You call me the Son of God. In Matthew 16, you said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know who I am. Flesh and blood didn't even reveal it to you. You have a divine insight that I really am God, that I really am God's son. But guess what, Peter? No matter what you know, no matter how much loyalty you profess, you're made of weak fiber because you're going to bail out on me and you're going to do something that you'll live to regret the rest of your life. You're going to deny me within 24 hours and say, I don't know the child of fornication. James and John, how would you like to have them on the board? Every meeting they come in, they're in a hammerlock fight over, I ought to be the chairman. 
I ought to be the pastor. I, 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 well, the thing wrong with me in this church, I'm not getting promoted quick enough. How would you like to run with those sons of thunder burning up cities on one hand if they could and fighting in that last hour? I'm glad they were not on the visitation committee when I was in the hospital. Because they would be fighting over who did visitation the best. Because they were insensitive to the Lamb of God in the room. This is who Christ chose to love. Notice he says this touching phrase, having loved his own, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. These are men that he has made his own. I must say this, that John 13 through 17 is like a love letter. I love all the sisters in the church like sisters, but I don't want you to ever see the love letters I wrote to my wife. Because my wife is my sister in the Lord plus my wife. But when I write a letter to my wife, I write in words and in terms like I write to no other woman. Love letters are that way. You know, they're exclusive. And Christ is saying, I'm loving my own. And you must know that God loves all men, but he doesn't love all men to the same degree he loves his own. God is the creator of all men. He's sustainer. He's provided seasons and food. But when you become his child, you are his own, and you enter into a circle of intimacy the world knows nothing about. He could say in John 17, I pray for my own. I don't pray for the world. The world has no intercessory high priest. Only his own have that. And so he said, this is what I found in my own. What is his own like? Surely you've loved these men because they're lovable. Never could be further from the truth. The only one lovely in the room is the lover. The only one that's adorable is the one doing the loving. Why did Christ love them? Why could he do this? Notice what it says in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Christ is fully aware of who he is and who's in charge. He knows where he's come from. He knows where he's going. And he knows that the power and the authority issue has been settled by the Father. This is not a man trying to get power. This is not a, a nervous God-man. He said, I know that I'm going back and I'll resume all authority like I had with the Father from the beginning. He says in John 17, give me back that glory I had with you from the beginning. That glory I laid aside when I took humanity to myself. I know I'm in the will of God. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know I'm in the will of God. And when you know who you are in God, you're free to love others. You see, self-love will always leave you dissatisfied. There's a whole genre of literature that says you've got to love yourself before you can love others. That's nice pop psychology. It's just not Bible. 
The Bible always assumes that you love yourself. He tells husbands, take care of your wife like you take care of your body. You nourish your body, you cherish it. It's an assumption that if you have sanity, you take care of your body. Now, insane people don't take care of their body. They can destroy themselves. They can inflict pain. They need straight jackets. They need drugs. They need J-wards. And I say that respectfully. It's a sign of insanity to want to destroy oneself. So self-love, the goal of life is not to see how much you can love yourself. The goal of the believer is to know you are loved and being loved and in the will of God. And you can love in spite of those God's given you to love. Because most those he gives you to love won't be very lovely. And we keep looking for people that are worthy enough of our love before we love. And God says, start loving. Love out of your relationship with me, not out of the worthiness of those in your life. You feel like a fool to think, I've been teaching these men about love. I've been demonstrating. And now there's no one in the room that's reciprocating. Nobody in the room that loves like me. No, the lover is Christ. And he's showing them the example how to love. Well, let's see how he loved them. How did he love them? Let's first of all look and see him going to Peter. And when he goes to Peter, what he is doing, he's acting out a parable. He's literally giving a living illustration of what he's going to do. Christ wasn't as didactic as we are. He used illustration. He did something that culturally they could identify all the implications. And he goes to Peter, gets up from the meal, pours the water, drops this outer garment, takes a towel, and all the men says, this should never be happening. This is God. And he's taking the role of a servant Never. Their pride was insulted that their master would be in such a role. He comes to Peter and, Ah, you can't wash me, Lord. He just wanted to wash his feet. You see, they took public baths. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have indoor baths. So you went to a public bath. But walking home with sandals, your feet would become dirty and dusty. So the custom of the day was the feet were to be washed at the door. It's like we say, leave your shoes at the door when you go to Hawaii and different places. But they washed the feet. Being born of water and the Spirit. It's that aspect that salvation is taking a bath. When you come to Christ, you come dirty. You come defiled. You come with all the corruption of sin in you. But he does something remarkable. He scrubs you clean. He washes you. He said to the Corinthians, some of you were homosexuals. Some were effeminate. Some were fornicators. Some were drunkards. But you've been washed. You've been scrubbed clean. I bathed you in the bath of regeneration. There's a scrubbing that takes place when you become a believer. Now, the other great truth he's telling Peter is, 
Just because you've been saved doesn't mean you don't get dirty. Walking through a dirty world. When they walked in their villages, there was no sanitation. There was no garbage pickup. The garbage was often thrown out the window. The, the animal waste was often on the roads. It was not an easy thing with uncovered feet, just sandals, to keep your feet clean. He says, you need to have your feet washed. And he tells him, you'll find out later and understand what I'm saying. So in the midst of this, love stoops to serve. Love stoops to cleanse a dirty man. Love leaves a meal and even lets a betrayer at a love feast. How is he going to love? Well, number one, his, own, his love for his own is continuous. I have loved you up to this moment. I will love you to the utmost. Listen to what Merle Tinney says. The significance of loving them to the uttermost is not that he loved them to the last of his life, but that he loved them to the uttermost degree of which he was capable. There was nothing else left to give when he got through. Have you ever exhausted yourself loving somebody? Maybe a mother making it through the night with a sick child and tired might be an, an illustrate love made you stay up with them all night taking their temperature cooling their head love that exhausts itself in giving and this is the picture of Christ he loved them continuously I loved you in the past I've been loving you these three and a half years I will continue to love you as long as I have anything to give there's something remarkable God wants a people that learn to love continually. And we often become exhausted in this matter of love. We uh, say, I've been betrayed. Somebody bailed out on me. They're not there for me. I can't afford to keep this up. Continuous love. And there are thousands of people living that way with walls around their heart. They've been betrayed. They've been hurt. And they're in the poor soul. Blame, blame, blame. And they've got the worst deal, the worst dad, the worst mom, the worst marriage, the worst something. You'll never love based on that. You've got to know who you are with God, that you've got a heavenly father and a savior who has loved you and is loving you, who has rescued you. Now, if you've never been rescued, you don't have the resources to love this way. You'll have to come to Christ and have this bath and you'll have to meet him to cleanse your heart and give you a new heart. You can't do it without him. But I know Christians, they've got these walls, they've got this rigidity, this, uh, this regimentation, and they don't love. No, they're not going to risk that. I did that once. The last church I got hurt. So what? When are you going to heal up? When are you going to trust? You can't live in this world and not get hurt. You can't be associated with sinners and not have your heart disappointed. Jesus, three and a half years in these men and not one man in the group proves to be loyal. They'll have to make a visit to Pentecost. 
And that only the Spirit of God can put a steadfastness in them that makes them not bail out again. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station. We would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time together today, if this broadcast and this ministry encourages you in your walk with Christ, and you happen to be looking for a church that does just that, we would invite you to contact valleybible.org. Pastor Phil is Pastor Emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, and while he is no longer in the pulpit, we are still very much a part of this church body. And we would invite you to come and join us for worship. For more information, again, valleybible.org or call 855-833-9864. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name.